Right, welcome to All About Animals Radio. Today, we're gonna to be talking about horse racing kills. And that means the slaughter industry, which is something that is avoided by mainstream racing. So welcome, Kristen Lee, for all the way from Melbourne, Australia. It's brilliant Hello. that we can talk. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for having myself on behalf of Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses on the show. Thank you ever so much. Um, right horses now everybody loves horses I mean they're beautiful to look at they're kind you know they're thrilling to watch and when we see immaculately turned out horses um, gleaming and being led about and you know everybody professing love for these horses everything looks absolutely lovely it's a fun day out we see the horses galloping which you know horses love to bomb around a field but that's not the real story, is it? To get that horse born, bred to the race course, and then what happens next? That's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our research over the last 15 years has made it abundantly clear that the suffering of a horse begins at birth and and um, if not given a you know, a, a lovely home after being raised can continue to their death. So um, their entire life as a racehorse, as officially as a racehorse, is one of suffering. And then often once they're retired as well, if they survive the knackery or the slaughterhouse. Now, I've read um, from your stats that 16,000 foals are slaughtered. Is that per year? Uh, there was, it was uh, that, it has reduced, and that's only because breeding has reduced. So when we first started campaigning, it was actually 18,000 in 2008, um, foals were being born, born into the industry, but the industry wasn't growing in size. So um, you would say that about the same amount are exiting racing each year, but there was absolutely no reporting or accountability of where those horses were going. And through our investigations, even back then, every time we went to an Anakari, there would be majority of um, horses from the track there, some that had raced even the week before. And as we've been exposing the topic of wastage, which back then no one even knew what wastage was. Um, and now it's kind of a regular household name. Everyone pretty much knows in horse racing, there is such a thing as wastage. And that's through, you know, groups like us exposing what that means. Um, and getting it out in the media and getting the media talking about it. And uh, it's common knowledge now, thankfully, that people are aware that the majority of racehorses will be sent to the knackery or the slaughterhouse once they've been, been used in racing and they're no longer wanted. And that can be obviously due to um, injuries sustained on racing or simply just for not being fast enough and therefore not returning uh, money on the so-called investment that people have made on their life. Um, but that figure now, as far as breeding goes, has reduced to about 13,500 foals a year. So as you've seen a reduction in breeding, we've, of course, seen a reduction in the number of horses entering and then exiting racing each year. But the same thing happens in the sense that the industry isn't growing in size. So if you count the numbers coming in and the number of horses racing and the number going out, the number going out is actually, the number of horses in racing, sorry, is actually getting smaller, which means there's more horses exiting racing than there's actually entering. So if you've got 13 and a half thousand foals coming in each year, 
you've got 13 and a half thousand plus horses exiting each year. Now the industry will say they're all rehomed or they go into equestrian pursuits or they um, or they go into breeding. Uh, the reality is uh, the breeding industry or the breeding number of mares and stallions isn't growing either. So there's got to be that many people exiting breeding each year too. So they're not accounting for those mares as well um, that are coming out of breeding. So through our investigations and research at knuckeries and slaughterhouses more recently, our estimate is now that about approximately 10,000 horses are now being uh, killed each year in Australia alone, uh, racehorses. Um, from, that's from flat uh, racing only, flat and jumps racing. That's not the trots, so not harness racing. That's a whole other wastage issue in itself. Right, so that's over a thousand, well, basically you can count on a thousand horses a month. And Australia does have um, slaughterhouses just for horses, don't they? Uh, we have knackeries just for horses. Um, or, or knackeries that will predominantly do horses. We do have a, or did have a slaughterhouse that, that was the only registered and approved slaughterhouse in the country to send horses, because uh, we don't have a, um, a pallet in this country for horse meat, but obviously other countries do. So we do have one approved slaughterhouse in the country that is licensed to export the flesh of the horses overseas to countries like Japan, and Russia um, and uh, Eastern Europe for for food uh, for the dinner plate, but um, we're very happy to report that just recently that slaughterhouse has stopped actually killing horses. So currently, as far as we're aware, there's no slaughterhouse in Australia that is registered to send the meat of horses overseas for human consumption. Uh, however, that slaughterhouse was also killing cows and camels. Um, and potentially other animal, animals too. So um, they were not really set up, which was one of the huge issues with, um, I mean, we obviously don't approve the slaughter of any animals, including horses at all, but this particular slaughterhouse was set up for cows, um, not horses. So we exposed them in 2019. There was a huge story that came out that um, the ABC 730 report covered that showed the standards at that slaughterhouse and how it was impossible to to you know kill these horses in a so-called humane way because it wasn't designed for horses it was designed for, for cattle so um thankfully that place is now closed down so but obviously they're still going somewhere so so they're going to the other knackeries we we estimate there's about 30 knackeries across australia that are killing horses but they're for being predominantly killed for pet food um, or almost entirely for pet food now. So that is a significant number of horses that are going in there. And also I just want to sort of remind people that horses have passports and horses in the UK travel to Australia. I know it sounds silly that, you know, you think, well, how can they make any money? But, you know, dogs go from Ireland to China. If, mm. if there's, as you say, if there's a pallet for it, they go. And if there's a way of, way of slaughtering an animal, sadly rather than just put these horses to sleep humanely in a field um for some reason the racing industry seems to prefer to send them somewhere where they can be slaughtered and that's something that you know as someone who, who has horses and pets i just i find hard to fathom why you know this these horses are going all over the world for slaughter and you know all the foals being bred and everything else i mean sadly 
racehorses, thoroughbreds, aren't the most desirable riding horses. They never have been. You know, most mm. people want a safe, happy hacker or, you know, a, a horse for riding club events and stuff. And, and generally, thoroughbreds are quite big and, you know, they're quite slim and they're not everybody's cup of tea when it comes to it, even though they are, I think they're wonderful. I had a thoroughbred myself for 30 years and he was the most kind, gentle soul on the planet and he was wonderful. Um, but they're not everybody's cup of tea at all. So the sort of where all these thousands and thousands of horses are, all these foals, you know, they're clearly not in people's fields. They're just not. You'd see them advertised all over the place and they're not. Um, so it's really, really important for people to really, you know, consider where are all these foals going? You know, if one person's telling you, if the racing industry is telling you or they're going to home, say, OK, well, where are they, please? You know, exactly. and you've got actual you've got actual stats. You know, you've done the hard work. You've you know, you, I don't see stable staff who love these racehorses in slaughterhouses leading those horses in. I see them loaded on a truck from the track or pulled out of lovely stables straight onto a slaughter truck, and then yeah. it's bye bye. You know, loved you know Dobbin or whatever they're called, and you know that that's the hard thing. And I know it's really easy when you go for a day at the races just to get you know you have a drink and you have everything else. And you watch the horses and it's all, you know, it's, it's almost you're running on adrenaline yourself at the racetrack. And that's what they try and do. But when you watch those horses' faces, especially I, I love seeing the close-ups of the horses' faces when the racing posts and that all, um, you know, all the newspapers and the news, they, they show this horse being pushed over the line and you look at their face and their eyes are bulging. Their tongues are probably hanging out. Um, they couldn't look more distressed if they tried. And you think... They're one, two, three years old in racing, you know, for the flat, um, maybe four. And they're both, you, then you know by all science that their spines are not, few, are not properly developed until they're six years old. Mm. You know, and that's all that you're asking, isn't it? Is, you know, come on, let's start thinking. Really, it's like racing's done themselves in, isn't it? You, you raised a really interesting point on your website that until 40 years ago, horses were not considered for racing until at least three years old. You know, where did you kind of find that information? Um, the, we've just done lots of research on lots of studies over the years that have, have documented this. And the interesting thing about, I mean, the, the ultimate reason why they've, they've changed that from 40, from three years old, sorry, to two years old now is to get us a faster return on investment. It has nothing to do with anything else, but the industry, because there has been people, even in the industry, speaking up. I mean, you have one of our biggest um, trainers in the country who's in you know, the Racing Hall of Fame, Gay Waterhouse, even state publicly that two-year-old racehorses here today, gone tomorrow. I mean, that's a statement she, she herself made. Um, and, you know, they've, they've brought, because of this sort of criticism, but it won't stop her doing it either, mind you, but um, because of this criticism that the industry has received, um, there was a study that came out in 2012 that tried to um, defend uh, this practice, saying that if you get a horse exercising younger, they're going to develop um, a thicker bone mass and they're going to be more prepared for racing. But there was a lot of issues with that study that we've highlighted on our website as well, where we talk about the change from three-year-old racing to two-year-old racing at a minimum. And that is one that there's no tra transparency as to who funded the study whatsoever, which is always a big, um, you know, uh, 
a bigger alarm bells, have, has big alarm bells ringing. But on top of that, the study doesn't talk about the intensity of the training and the racing. So it may well be good to get a horse moving about and exercising younger um, if you're going to try to prepare them for the racing industry as an older horse. But we're talking excessive, pushing them beyond their limits on the racetrack, beating them with a whip, with a jockey on their back, when, like you said, their spine isn't even fused properly properly until six years old and they're being beaten, their, their knees only fuse, my understanding is at the age of about two. So you've got these horses already in training at the age of one, getting ready for and pushing them on track work and in training regimes to their absolute limits so that by the age of two, they can get them on the track and get them earning money. I mean, this is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, three is even very, I mean, any age, as you know, we would say you shouldn't be doing that to a horse, but particularly when their bodies aren't skeletally mature until the age of six, it's absolutely ridiculous. And that's what we believe also contributes to the wastage, the high wastage of horses because they're injured. And like you said, I mean, if you've got a lame horse, it's very dangerous to then retire them from racing and then put children on their backs and things like that when they've got these injuries and they're suffering and they're going to throw people off their backs because they're in pain, you know, or they're tormented and they're therefore they're aggressive. Um, all sorts of things can be happening with horses that are coming out of the industry, which is a whole other conversation with um, clear traceability and, and passports and information that we just don't have here in Australia at all. It's terrible. We don't even have a proper um, a system that traces these horses, which we can, we can go into too. But I mean, this, this study that everyone now in the industry themselves uh, refers to is completely flawed. It's not a proper study on the, the impacts that are really happening from hard, excessive training, which is what these horses are going through. Um, and we also found with that study, um, it actually, I've got a quote here from that study, which completely contradicts itself. It states, it is critical to be aware that even though appropriate exercise has been shown to be necessary for optimal development, Horses may be more easily injured during this time if the exercise is excessive. So they've kind of contradicted themselves in their own study. They've also stated there is also evidence that fractures occur more often in younger horses and continue to decrease in frequency as age increases. So again, they're contradicting themselves. And then just the final thing on that study is that they only took the, they used a 10 year study of horses actually in racing. They didn't use any figures from the horses that don't make it to the track. So all those horses that are put into training and never make it to the racetrack um, due to injury or just not being suitable. So one, our, our estimates and the industry figures actually show themselves that approximately one third, it's actually even more than that, but we like to be conservative with the figures. One third of horses that are born into racing do not make it to the racetrack. None of those horses were included in this study. So the results in this study are flawed simply from that as well, because it's leaving out an entire portion of horses that may have been injured due to being raced or trained, sorry, as a two-year-old, uh, or sorry, as two or younger. So um, the study is, is flawed completely in our view, and that's all over our website. If anyone ever wants to argue that point when it's raised with the industry, it's all there for you, for people to look at. There's a lot of information on your website, and we're, we'll come to that at the end. When you talk, when they talk about that study, I would raise the point that naturally, and this has been seen by you know many great horse people over the years, and it's always a thing that it's lovely if you can, if, you, if you've got the right kind of horse. Now, not all horses want to be ridden, not all horses want to be with people, you know, 
I've seen that from experience. There are those that do love a job, definitely. And they are very people orientated and far more domesticated. Now, one of my horses did come off a herd that they graze mountains. And it's well known that, you know, they've got all the herbs, they've got all the foliage. Um, the boys are in one herd, the girls are in another herd, and they can roam and to watch them is beautiful. You know, they play, they, they, they make heart stop as they go up and down the mountains at speed. But the difference is, it's on their terms. It's like watching children, your own children, you know, as a parent, your heart stops and they, you know, climb a tree too high or they, you know, run and jump, I don't know, off a bank or, you know, any, anything like that. Now, we all encourage our children to do sports. We encourage play with our pets. You know, if you've got a puppy, you follow the 10 minute rules, don't you know, that kind of thing. And that is how we all build bone mass and everything else. And that is basically accepted science. And we know that. Now, if you've got a foal, I watched one here last night, funny enough, playing. It's only a few days old. And me and my children stopped and watched because he was just bombing around. And he was so sprightly. And he's beautiful, his long little legs and everything else. And I was surprised at how nippy he was. He could really turn. However, he, he, he was practicing. He was practicing with what he could do. He was exploring up and down some little banks. Um, and then he stopped and literally flopped down in, in the dust in front of his mum. It was lovely. That's what these racing foals can't do. Mm. It's not on nature's terms. It's not on their terms. And the thing is about having horses, and they do know this, is that the bigger the frame, the longer they take to develop. They absolutely do. Mentally, I always find horses are obliging, far more than ponies, that are those typical pony minds where they, they will, you know, they're lovely and they, they, they want to help and they want to be with you, but there is that cheekiness and that it's going to be more on my terms. But horses are so kind and so generous that they will break themselves for you. And that I find so terribly sad that we, we do that. And, you know, how many times do you have to go to a race course and see a horse with a broken leg and a bone sticking out? And there's, oh, well, that's sad. On to the next race. Race is going to be delayed for 10 minutes. Yeah. And that's another point that racing is often delayed. I've been to enough race courses and so is everybody else, really, whether you're pro or against. And we know that races get delayed for accidents, for loose horses, saddle slips, shoes thrown. And um, in the UK, I don't know if you saw it, Animal Rising was blamed for, I think, the National. There was a horse died in it. And some trainers said, oh, you know, you got the horses all wound up by delaying 10 minutes. Well, several times the National has had false starts. Many, many times it's had false starts. Horses have been sent off, come back, sent off, come back. And you're almost screaming at the telly. Will you please let those horses go? so this is the thing i know pro caps will always you know always want to see the horses race whatever but there is a good middle amount of people like me you know i used to love the races that you know we're just saying you can we have some care you know these are such kind gentle animals and beautiful animals um and clever you know they're super intelligent 
you know, can you just look at the stats, isn't it? And that's what I do admire organisations such as self because you do the hard work, you know, you're watching some awful scenes and you're getting the stats and what more can you do but put stats in front of people and say, look, this is happening. You know, when, when you have all this information, what do you do with it? You know, how do you try and get it out there? Yeah, well, yeah, good question. I mean, we've got all this fantastic information and I guess the way we try to get it out there um, mostly is, is when the industry is focused, sorry, the general public is focused on racing, which is our spring racing carnival, kind of like in England with the Grand National. We, um, you know, when the, it feels like the whole country is stopping to watch that horrific race. Um, so we, and so those activists have taken fantastic advantage of that by, by kicking off their horse racing campaign there um, with that. And obviously Animal Aid's been doing that over in the UK for a long time as well, raising awareness and doing billboards on buses and all sorts of things, um, protesting at the track. So we, we do a similar thing here where we put a lot, we work throughout the year on education and campaigning and investigating and researching. Um, but ultimately our, our more sort of um, on the street actions occur through the spring racing carnival because that's when the media is interested in what we have to say that's when the public is talking about horse racing that's when people who don't even care about horse racing are gambling on it because they have office sweeps and workplace parties and it's a public holiday across most of victoria so people get a day off for a horse race which is absolutely disgraceful um so it's an actual public holiday there are other parts in the country that have their own sort of local public holidays for what they call their cup day. So we've got the Melbourne Cup, which is one of the biggest horse races in the world. So we, that, that and that's what takes place as part of the spring racing carnival. So we really um, use that event to draw attention to it through protests, through um, uh, stunts that we'll pull at the racetrack or outside the racetrack, um, sometimes inside, sometimes outside, uh, and really try to draw attention to it. If a horse dies in the Melbourne Cup, which is more often than not, we will obviously, um, the media will be really interested to talk about that at that time. But what we always say at that time is this is not a Melbourne Cup phenomenon. This happens on Australian racetracks every 2.5 days. But you only want to talk about it during the Melbourne Cup because it's the only time of year that the media is talking in general, the mainstream media, not just the sports media, but the, the, the general entertainment pages, the fashion pages. That's when you're all talking about it. So that's when we use our opportunity to really draw attention to it. But obviously throughout the year we're campaigning as well. The jumps racing season, um, we are the only state in Australia that continues jumps races, um, which is forcing horses at high speeds over jumps with a jockey on their back um, whilst they're being beaten with a whip. Um, the fatality rate in jumps races is statistically 19 times more fatal so um, for injuries and deaths. So um, we, will, we will use that um, horrific uh, so-called sport to to highlight the horrors um, of jumps racing and racing in general to show that these people don't care about horses. If they did, they would not be forcing them over jumps at high speeds, knowing there's a really high chance they're going to be injured and potentially killed. So um, we we go pretty hard during the jump season filming. Uh, we have people at the tracks showing these horses falling and being killed and these horrific injuries that they suffer. Um, so. You know, when you talk about um, pushing these, you know, us thinking about horses running and galloping and how they like that. I mean, that's the, the horror about this industry too, is they take advantage of a horse's natural, playful, and sometimes 
flight instincts, um, you know, or often flight instincts, they take advantage of their natural position of being and convince the public that they enjoy racing through 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 highlighting, you know, as you're a kid, like you said, you see a horse running and you think, oh, horses love to run. We still see grown adults tell us this, people that are in the industry, horses love to run. And you're like, yeah, on their own terms, not being pushed beyond their limits, not when their spirits are broken, not with a chunk of metal in their mouth that's causing them pain and distress, not with a tongue tied around their tongue to their jaw, um, and not with a jockey on their back with a whip and spurs, and as we've seen, electric shock devices as well, which are thankfully illegal but still get used. Um, so, you know, this is not about a horse enjoying a run. This is about a horse being forced to run way beyond their limits. That's why they use the whip at the last 100 metres of the race. It's because the horse is tiring. The horse is exhausted. They want to push them that bit further to get them across the finish line first. They do not care about the well-being of these horses. And if they did, they certainly wouldn't use them in this industry. One thing I'd like to add, um, you know, as someone that's sort of, you know, had horses, ridden horses, you know, for a long time now. Um, when you ride a horse, you know, you hope it's a partnership and you hope, you know, when, if my, my my horse likes to you know if he sees me he runs in he certainly doesn't run away if I show that you know bring a saddle out you know he's like where are we going mum and the difference is when you ride a horse as a leisure horse and I want to raise this point because the industry and many people love to say oh they'll be after our riding horses next they'll be after our pets <laughs> and yeah. it's just and you just think well, okay, I don't eat dogs, but if I stop people killing dogs, does that mean I can't keep a dog? You know, it's the same yeah. lunacy quite often, isn't it, really? The same silly argument. So yeah. I once, I rode my thoroughbred in just um, local racing. And when I was at the start, um, they, all everybody else, they, they had a few ex-race horses there. They were like you would hear on a normal race course they were jeering them up little hits with a stick and all that kind of stuff and I just stayed quiet um it was a little bit of smugness on my part because my horse was group one bred and he loved to run he absolutely loved to run and if he could win he would win anyway and quite often he just he, he just bowled along and then he just went through the others like they were nothing and that was wonderful however I was the only one doing it that wasn't whipping my horse and my mm. horse could pull up at any time it wasn't about that he loved it now that's the difference I had that odd horse and maybe there's a more there's, there's more like that but that is not the majority the amount of people I know that have had x races and the things always the same they didn't want to run they didn't want to run and there are some good trainers in the UK. And I remember a little while ago on Facebook seeing one of them who has a particularly good rehoming saying, oh, you know, my daughter's just done some schooling. So this three, four year old is, is up for a new home and all that. And they do it very nicely. And then some, but a few of them, a few of the, obviously the trainers fans were saying, oh no, it looks so good. You know, he likes to run. And the trainer just said, no, he doesn't like to run. And mm. that is that was refreshing and rare. Um, and this was a very old trainer um, who maybe was around at the time when you say that they didn't push horses like they do now. Mm. And, and that was good. And that's the point with horses. 
if 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 no one can if they can't pull up if they can't say i'm not feeling right today you know there's loads of people i know that go into events or shows and they were often on their you know think oh i don't know barney wasn't up for it today never mind he still got his carrots that doesn't happen in racing as you say i mean i can't think of anything worse than put an electric shock on a horse because one it's just going to scare them and i and there's very famous horse whispers and trainers out there who even have racehorses themselves who have said it doesn't work you almost lose energy and it's like it's like a sprinter it's like if you watch human athletes you know oh. european championships or something and they're on the sprint block well if mm. you put electric shock up their backside you know the where's they're about to run well one they're going to stumble at the start generally and two that is going to not do anything for their speed is it so you've got some real trolls of you know it, it's almost they just want the brutality into it isn't mm. it and and that is unreasonable and that is really sad on the racing part because they don't need to do that they absolutely mm. don't need to it's almost like they they feel they need to put some bright lights and sparkles on you know to make people go yeah 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 you know like oh you know we're, we're still going to do it it's like they, they don't think that they can still have any sport if mm. they just dial it down they've gone over the top really haven't they with it all yeah, well, that's the thing. I think they seem to think that the public enjoys it more if they can see the horse getting beaten with the whip. But they've done um, studies and oh, um, questionnaires and things on the public to say, would you still, the people who are into horse racing, would you still support racing if the whip was banned? And they say yes. Um, so they've got it all the data there that, that shows that, that they can do this. And pretty much every state in Australia actually wants to see a ban on the whip. But New South Wales is very pro-whip and they're it's it's all a bit political but they're basically preventing a ban on the whip in this country because the the leaders in new south wales refuse to support the ban and they have a majority say across australia so now the states are looking at are going independent and going rogue and banning it themselves and keeping new south wales as the only state that does allow whip because they just can't get new south wales over the line so the industry does actually want to make reform and I will know I know for a fact it's not because they care about the horses and they a lot of them won't even acknowledge that the whip hurts the horse or that pushes or pushes them beyond their limits they're saying it's better for the sport so-called sport in the sense that the public are turning off racing because they cannot believe in 2023 we are still watching and cheering horses being beaten and you know and they they might save they might be able to save this industry into the future if they actually do get rid of the whip I mean, obviously, we're not here to protect the industry, but we, we support welfare reforms along the way. Um, we want to see an end to horse racing. We can't see that it can be made fine for those horses. When you're using animals for entertainment and gambling profits, they are always going to suffer. People are always going to put money first. I'm not saying everyone does that, but a lot of people do. They see the horse as an investment. They're expensive to keep. They want a return on their investment, so they're going to push them to try to get a return when they don't get a return on the investment, they get rid of them. A lot of people might not even know where they're going and they don't want to know. You've got syndicates are getting bigger and bigger. So you've got people, you know, investing as little as $1,000 in a horse and they've got 20 owners or 30 owners or all these people. There's no limits. So any 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 Tom, Dick or Harry can now be an owner of a racehorse and, and, and afford to be if they're reasonably, you know, um, well off. You don't have to be rich. Um, if you're even comfortable, you can invest in a racehorse now. 
and the horse can run, run and you can your friends can go to the track you can celebrate um if they win or you can just enjoy their day out and then suddenly when the horse is, is injured or isn't they just the trainer tells the syndicate look the horse isn't doing well anymore um we're going to retire them um and they'll go okay no worries they don't know where the horse goes they have a lot of them have never even met the horse um so they don't have a kind of emotional attachment anymore they're just seen as a, a dollar figure on a piece of paper that the trainer reports to and they used to tell their friends that they're you know how great they are because they've got an ownership in a horse so there's this real detachment now even more so because you've got owners not even knowing who the horse is they know nothing about them they don't know their personality so there's no yeah there's no emotional connection at all um and therefore when the horse vanishes the trainer can even say oh yeah we've taken them off to this property and they'll go oh, okay great next and you know they might not even know that the horse has been sent to the knackery or they do just we, don't care do we know how many racehorses are bred each year in australia uh, 13,500 for the flats and, and jumps. Um, and then there's also the trots too, which is a lesser number, but we focus on the on the flat and the jumps and that's 13,500. Sorry, if I go back to the foals, I thought 13,000 foals were slaughtered per year. I mean, the no, whole breeding. Sorry, that's how many are bred. Um, right. So we made about 10,000 of those approximately uh, are slaughtered. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so they really do use a small proportion of them, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because um, we've, I mean, our, our 20, our two-year investigation into the Merrimah Slaughterhouse alone found that 4,000 um, thoroughbreds and 1,000 standardbreds are being killed at that one slaughterhouse alone each year. That's now the one that's just closed down. So that's just say 4,000 so 4, at one slaughterhouse alone, and that's in, um, in Queensland. So there's another 30 knackeries across the country that always have racehorses at them. So our estimates are approximately 10,000. Um, it's impossible to know exactly, but the industry, the problem is as well, is the industry will send a form as soon as a horse is retired now that you've got uh, seven days now because of our work exposing them, they're trying to crack down. You've got seven days now to, um, to inform the industry that you've re so-called retired your horse or that they've passed on or whatever might've happened to them. Um, there's a tick box and, a, and you can basically, they ask you, where's that horse gone or what's happened to them? They've actually removed the option from that form since we've started exposing them of abattoir or slaughterhouse. They've taken it off. So even if you wanted to tell them that's what's happened to the horse, you actually can't. It's not even statistically available as an option. So they've got things like equestrian pursuit, rehomes. So they have to, the owner or trainer has to put the address of where that horse has been rehomed to. So what the industry does now is they pull all these stats off those forms. They say this percentage has been gone to this equestrian pursuit. This um, this many have been retired uh, to a lovely home somewhere, but they don't provide any proof or any evidence. So you can't find out if that's true. Now, the reality is there is just not enough homes in Australia for all of these horses. If you think about thir uh, 13,000 coming in, therefore 13,000 coming out each year, in two years, that's 26,000. In three years, that's 39,000. Where are all these horses going? I mean, I mean, it's absolutely ludicrous to think that we can account, we can um, provide homes for all these horses when you think about that every single year happening. So basically there's no, they say they audit these forms and they, they do random checks. We totally question that because they never provide evidence to those audits. Um, 
and they are trying to claim as they were back then before of all of our investigations that less than one percent go to slaughter that's still too many of course but it's an absolute fabrication and it's based on a form that doesn't allow you to tell the truth even if you wanted to that's shocking that is really shocking yeah you know, and, and then they got the nerve to say how much they love the horses I mean, that is just diabolical, isn't it? I'm astounded, yeah. really, that so many people still have this, this dream of working with racehorses and how, you know, loving them into the stables and out because it's, it's not a loving industry, is it? You know, often, quite often when I see on the racehorse um, rehoming page, it's, oh, I, you know, I looked after such and such when they were racing at whatever yard and... Um, you know, it's nice to see them there, or, you know, if, if one or two have been saved. Mm. But I do always, I don't say it, because, you know, there's no point starting an argument on that front. But I do say, well, did you not think, while you were loving that horse for five minutes, that, you know, there is probably less than a 90% chance, uh, sorry, than a 10% than a chance of that horse actually living a life and having a home? Because of the, the, the stats don't lie, do they? Facts don't lie. You know, mm. the slaughter has got these horses from somewhere. And we're not, as mm. you say, you know, where I live, where you live, in America, in Canada, anywhere you go, the only place there's a majority of, of horses, sadly, are in slaughterhouses. You know, you can mm. see some in fields and stuff, but there's not tens of thousands of them, you know, mm. and, and that's the thing. And it's a little bit sad that when people go to the races, you know, there should almost be a sign up saying, um, you know, when you walk through this gate, you know, do you want to put a number on a board? How many can die for you to still enjoy your drink? You know, <laughs> you know, yeah. why, why, you know, but here you go. You can bet on the football, the rugby, the athletics, the, I don't know, swimming or any other sport, mm. which is voluntary. And that's, that's a little bit odd about betting, isn't it? Because if you, if you watch a football match, you know, both teams want to win, don't they? You know, the players are going for it, their bonuses, everything depends upon their goals and, you know, the win bonuses, whatever else, you know, they're going for it. They've put themselves in tip top condition as best they can. And, you know, you can bet on some footballer until I know nothing about football, can't you? Um, but, you know, kicking a ball in the right net at the right time, you know, and you get better odds or that kind of thing. If you've yeah. got all that going on, why do you want to risk a horse's life? Yeah. yeah and, exactly. and maybe it's just that the light bulb hasn't gone off yet that you know no one's trying to stop you having a gamble or having a day out you know you go and support the people you know doing their stuff yeah and, and maybe it's still the generation like I was that we got taken by our parents it's still considered a day out where, you know kids can run about and you can have a drink in a nice setting the race course looks nice like a golf course you know um it, it's just breaking that cycle isn't it that almost hereditary cycle of, you know, doing other stuff now. But if you want yeah. to gamble, you know, not that it's a great idea, you know, to waste your money on that. But if you're spending one or two quid on day out, you know, go to the football, go to the rugby, you know, support support real sports that help kids and help everything really that people enjoy. You know, there's no victims. Well, that's what a big focus of Alvin. I said we do a lot of our focus on the spring racing carnival. We run the Nut to the Cup campaign, which hope, hopefully you've heard of, um, yes. which is basically encouraging people that you can have a really good time without going to the races. So highlighting highlighting that this the racing industry uses fashion, drinks, socialising, 
people meeting each other, you know, all this kind of thing. They, they associate that, they market that for horse racing because they know the younger generations particularly are going to turn away from this and they are starting to turn away from this. And, um, you know, various um, questionnaires are showing that now as well that go around. The people just want to sign up to the cup now. So they're, they're trying their hardest to keep them in, to keep them going, to show that it's, you know, that it's this amazing fun day out, get dressed up. And that's why they have all these sideshows. They've even got like rides for the kids now to get parents to bring their kids to indoctrinate them into thinking that this is okay and that it's fun and it's normal when it's not. So Nut to the Cup is really about showing, no, you can have a great time without engaging in animal abuse. You can still um, get together. You can still have drinks. You can still dress up. We have human races at our Nut to the Cup party each year where humans do different, all different sorts of fun races. We have dress ups, um, all sorts of things. We get, instead of people having an office sweep, corporates are actually calling us now and saying, what do we do? It's really awkward because it's, you know, it's so, there's no social license in horse racing anymore. Some of the people in our office still want to have a sweep. Um, a lot of people are upset if we do, what should we do? And they ask us advice. So there's this real, you know, change in workplace with workplace, um, you know, uh, workplace uh, requirements to sort of be more inclusive of everyone and not bullying anyone into doing anything they don't want to do. So, so a lot of people are having nut to the cup at the workplace and we give them you know, tools on how to do that. We can send them posters. We can, we send them uh, cruelty-free recipes to, you know, to have on the day and human games that they can play instead. So there's a real shift happening and the racing industry can see it and they're throwing everything at getting the younger generation to the track. Um, and sadly, getting them into problem gambling. I mean, they're pushing problem gambling. They're pushing gambling every time it's in Spring Carnival here. It's the amount of complaints we get, it's not us running them, but people saying, oh my God, have you seen how many gambling ads have been on the TV and on the radio and all over the city on billboards because they're just pushing gambling on, on, on everyone. And that includes young, and young people, vulnerable people. Um, I mean, it's not healthy in any which way you look at it. It's a terrible industry uh, for the horses and for humans. Um, there's a, an amazing amount of um, workplace harassment that goes on in racing that's finally getting spoken about as well um, from stable hands um, and people that are lower down in the work chain uh, in the racing industry that work ridiculous hours for shocking pay, um, you know, from all hours of the morning till night. They've got night races now, so even, you know, it's just exhausting people and burning them out. Um, and, the, yeah, so the conditions for everyone are bad. So um, I think that will only lead to more people speaking up, which is what we're seeing, seeing people in the industry feeling really jaded and starting to come forward more, which is fantastic. And we encourage more of that because we need insiders to speak up to learn about what's going on. Um, you know, there's only so much we can do from the outside. So um, very much encourage that. And um, yeah, need to break through that messaging that this is um, a sport. I mean, it's, a, it's an industry. It's an exploitative industry that the horses do not choose for themselves. Can I sort of raise one point as well that in this heat, you know, obviously, you know, we're 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 really weak here, you know, 30 degrees and, and we're all, you know, panicking and you know, freezing our hot water bottles. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't take my horse out in 30 degree heat. I wouldn't. And I remember watching um 
a program on Australian racing on one of the big studs and they were up at four o'clock in the morning to exercise their horses and they had this um, machine thing that you could tie your horses to and off they went but the races are not at four o'clock in the morning you know you're asking young horses athletes um, to run in extreme conditions extreme mm -hmm. conditions and with the climate as we know climate crisis everywhere ipc um report was out or it was all over the media again this week all kinds of problems going on around the world you know canada's half on fire isn't it you know things are not going to get better if we want to protect our pets and keep our leisure horses then you have to consider the whole situation you've got to consider all the food and everything else and how all these animals are going to stay safe you know mm. australia certainly had its problems with wildfires nobody will ever forget that um, mm. you've got to think if you've got ten thousand horses in one industry or thirteen thousand, you know it's like having a farm isn't it with you know ten thousand cows you've got to be able to move them and you've got to be able to keep them safe and you've got to be able to feed them the numbers globally on animals are too big, you know, for the for wildlife, which is what we need to keep the world happy, you know, healthy and happy anyway. Um, mm. All this overbreeding has a knock on effect. So my appeal to these industries would think you've had your day, you know, yeah. can you stop being so selfish, dial it down, you know, and mm. also this cost of living crisis, as you say, with so many you know, problems with drugs, addiction, homelessness, all the racing subsidies. I mean, I, how anybody can even, you know, have a reason to give subsidies to an industry when there are so many people in need right now. Mm. Um, there's a whole load of social issues now. And maybe for the first time with, with, so, with, with perhaps, you know, people happily talking about animal issues i think more so now that mm. the dots are joining people are mm. realizing that you know what's important and i don't know where you are but here we see probably more people out on bicycles now than i've ever seen before since covid i suppose um but more people their their holidays are hiking with the kids and you know wanting outside space yeah. there, there is a change in what people are already doing and it, and it is maybe the cost of living crisis although it doesn't mean camping is particularly cheap sometimes depending where you go um but it's about days out and when I took my kids to the races once there was a bouncy castle face painting puppet show I'm not sure that I actually saw a horse that day mm. um yeah. and all I remember is being in a face painting queue for about half an hour <laughs> and then the same with the bouncy castles and everything else. Yeah. Um, and I've always said this when you've got kids, all you want to do is take them out, make them smile. You need a park. You, just, you don't even need the animals. You need the park. They want to run. They want to play. They want to be noisy. Face painting, mm. happy days. Bouncy castle, mm. happy days. Mm. You know, and, you know, those splash park things, happy days. And, and yeah. if you can do it nice and cheaply for parents it really helps it helps big time parents you know if you've got a cafe with reasonably priced coffee then you know it's a winner and 
for councils and governments, you know, to throw millions and millions and millions down these old routes. It's not today's world. It's just not. Mm -hmm. And again, people with leisure horses and pets, please don't use that argument. It's going to affect us because it's not. It's not. Mm. It's just, it's like I said, the dog in the slaughterhouse or the dog is your pet. You stop the dog slaughterhouses, you're not stopping the dog pets. And it is exactly the same with horses. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, horses love that connection with people and um, yeah. and communicated really well. Um, it's very, They're not an object for profits. That's where the problem comes in. Yeah. I mean, obviously, um, you know, all animals can be abused by, unfortunately, by people because some people are unwell and some people abuse animals. But when you're talking about an industry um, that is set up around abuse of animals and it's in That's the difference. That's the nail on the head. That's the difference. It's set up to, for the horse to fail. You know, yeah. pets, pets aren't set up for the, for the, for the majority to fail. That's yeah. right. And, you know, it, like you said, with kids, kids enjoying the, the industry, taking advantage of kid, people wanting connection in the day out. And we can, you know, and they, they do do that. And if kids want to connect with animals, they can go most, most cities in the world, I would I would imagine, and definitely all over Australia and the and the UK, would have sanctuaries and rescues where you can go and you can interact with animals if you don't have the pleasure of having animals living with you, so that you can still go and do that. Um, like you said, the the kids didn't even see horses at the racetrack. I went to the races once um, before I was working against racing. I've been plenty of times since then, but as a supporter, <clears throat> I went once when I was eighteen or nineteen. I didn't see a horse either. It was so packed and we were just there to hang out and have drinks and, and you know, bought into that whole rubbish and it was boring and I hated it and I never went back. But, yeah, I didn't see a horse um, the whole day. It's ridiculous. Like, so that's what I mean. They really use the social and the fashion to bring these people in. Um, and, and there's so many other things we can do to have fun, which is, yeah, what the Nup to the Cup campaign is about. And when you talk about the heat and the stress, every time you read a stewards report throughout the Australian summer, you'll see horses pulling up with heat stress always. It's common. Um, you see them heaving when they come off the track. I mean, they're heaving in the winter. In the summer, it's just horrendous, the amount of horses that suffer heat stress um, and the amount of horses that... And that heat stress is a really scary thing. It's not just, oh, I feel hot. It can kill a horse. It's very, very scary. And the, on top of that, they're travelling from track to track, from trainer to track in, in, um, in floats. They go on a whole day. They don't get to drink as they need and graze as they need. So there's all these other issues associated, obviously, with horse racing, which we would never have time to cover completely. But if you talk about, um, you know, horses being dehydrated, they need to drink a lot of water, as you would know as a horse carrier yourself. Um, they don't have access to water a lot of the day because they're being floated to and from everywhere, which is stressful as well. In Australian summer, it's just outrageous. And then they're forced to gallop at high speeds under stressful situations. So you have a lot of horses suffering dehydration before they've even hit the track for the race day. Um, and then they've got to travel all the way back home to the stable, which can be hours on end, really long tracks. I mean, you've got country tracks. They travel from, sometimes they're traveling six hours to a race track. I mean, even longer sometimes to do a race and then home again. I mean, it's just absurd. Um, and we've got, you know, we don't even have any regulations on, when a heat a temperature a horse a race needs to be called off um, oh, so cool. yeah it can, can be complete it can be over 40 degrees and horses will still be racing so um you know and then you've got hard tracks as well because the tracks are dry 
which leads to um, horrific injuries as well because the horses, the, the tracks can be so hard. At Ascot last year in Perth, we had, I can't remember the exact figure now, but we had a number of fatalities within a few weeks at one track alone. And it's, you know, a lot of that, in our view, was due to that track surface just being so hard because it's so hot. Sorry, um, just so they not cover the tracks and water them? No, no, they often are just racing on really hard, dry tracks. So that's, I'm not sure great. how often they are. I'm not sure how often they are watering them, but we know for a fact that Ascot, from people that um, that uh, that we know in Queen, uh, in um, Perth, were, were saying it's a real like it's a hard. They, I mean, they report on the track, um, you know, the the condition of the track, and it was really hard surface, like ridiculously hard, and. Um, and we wrote to the minister for racing. They didn't care. We tried to get the track shut down. They didn't care. And the horses just kept dying, you know. And this is the other thing. It's because, like you said, they they keep supporting this industry. Last year in Australia alone, we as Australians waged $30 billion on horse racing. Oh, billion. my God. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. So the government is backing it because of the wagering turnover. It's got nothing... It's it's just money talks and gambling talks, unfortunately, and that's why our government is in the pocket of the industry because of the gambling turnover and the profits that the government gets from it. So it's a big, big, big David and Goliath battle, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But you've just got to believe in the goodness of people, and the more you educate, the the more they'll turn away from it. And um, like you said, there's alternatives. If you want to gamble, we don't want to promote gambling, but if you want to gamble, gamble on something where the participants are willing. Exactly, exactly. I think it's been lovely to talk to you. It's been absolutely lovely to talk to you. We've, we've, covered, we've covered a lot. We're both obviously passionate about horses. <laughs> <laughs> we are. We are. And so much more, you know, like that we, you know, confinement and, you know, the horses are just, people think they have these wonderful lives, but they're kept in a box all day. 23 hours a day, a horse is kept in a box and they're let out to go for a gallop and then they're put back in. It's um, it's no, absolutely miserable. miserable for those horses. It is I, yeah. I assure people that no no horse wants to be in a cage, and it is nothing more than a cage. It's absolutely. the most. I mean, everything about it is unnatural. It's an unnatural way to eat, a natural way to drink, a natural way to move. Mm. You know, they're in their muck. You know, yes, they get cleaned out, but you know, naturally, a horse would move away from where it is to you know where they poop to graze, and everything yeah. else. The whole thing is just yeah. It, it doesn't it doesn't work for the horse and I guess that's the way that they really get away with selling the industry as well is they say look how well looked after they are when they look at you know those winning thoroughbreds and those um group one racing thoroughbreds that are like um you know that have their their feet managed so well with their farriers and then they have their their brush daily and their coats are shiny and all that kind of thing and they're forgetting about a horse isn't doesn't care if they get brushed I mean, it, it sounds rather more, so... <laughs> more than like they're t talking about the horse like a car because yeah, all, exactly. all those all those things are our values they're not particularly mm. horses values that's right exactly yeah they want to be able to roll and 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 gallop and frolic and play and interact and be social and i mean they're herd animals they're not meant to be a box on their own i mean it's just atrocious the, it um, is concentrated diets which leads to about 90 percent studies have shown 90 percent of horses stomach oh. suffer from stomach ulcers because they're fed these 
high protein mm-hmm. diets and they aren't able to graze day all day which is what they're supposed to do exactly and it's not just grass either they're supposed to be eating a, a really huge amount of mixed foliage you know fields of grass you know, is probably that's the biggest killer of horses you know in in the leisure world it's just you know fields of horses you know uh, sort of fields of grass horses go in there get laminitis because mm. they mix foliage yeah, um, you know the vets are all saying that you know that's why most of us have track systems these days where we you know and it's huge efforts huge efforts I mean leisure horse owners would literally give their last penny to you know for their horse to have a massage or you know you know live to 30 and you know have the right rugs and have the right everything and that is yeah. the huge difference between yeah. you know the, the the two ownerships I suppose yeah yeah. yeah thank you ever so much for joining me today i hope our readers you know, uh, readers that's funny isn't it for radio <laughs> i hope our <laughs> listeners have gained a lot of information um thank you ever so much um your, yeah. one thing i will say is your website details that is horseracingkills.com and there is a lot of information on it and information. You, if they want to advocate yeah, loads of information and loads of way to get it, ways to get involved and to take action, whether that's simply signing petitions, writing letters, or actually donating, volunteering, all sorts of ways to help. And if you're not based in Australia and you need contacts for other groups around the world, we can we can help do that as well. So um, speak up, it's all about speaking up, um, sharing information, and most importantly, not attending or gambling on horse racing. <laughs>